We are, are walking through the Sermon on the Mount, crawling through. We've been four months in it now. We've got about a month and a half left to go. Um, but we're at Matthew six twenty-five. Such a beautiful passage. I want, you're going to hear me read these verses over and over and over. The reason I do that is because the Bible is the Word of God, and that's what I want you to hear. Not me. I want you to hear Jesus himself. So Matthew six twenty-five. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat and what you will wear, or what you will drink and about your body and what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of value than they? And can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But strive first, or seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. Now, I just love this passage. This is so powerful. There's just so many good lines in here that we can build philosophies and ways of living off of. An important thing to understand when you're studying the Bible is this idea of context. So often we just flip open or we hear somebody speak on a certain passage and we just narrow directly in on that passage and we get all of the meaning of that passage from that passage alone. But that's just not how it works. In any sort of conversation, any sort of reading, there's always a lead up to whatever is said, right? Allowing you to better understand where they're coming from. So I want to kind of set a little bit of context. So first big picture Sermon on the Mount. Due to all of Jesus' miracles, his fame is beginning to grow. And crowds were starting to flock to him. They're like, man, did you see what he did? We got to be around him. At the height of his popularity, he pulls away on a mountain in order to speak to his disciples. Disciples are defined as men and women who have the desire to learn from him and apply his teachings to their lives. From this platform, he tells them how to live a life that is blessed, a life that is full, one that has purpose and contentment, a life that is rich has rich and meaningful relationships, the type of life that every individual wants. Last week, we looked at uh, verses 19, 6, 19 through 24, and he was teaching on the importance of one's perspective. He used the metaphors of storing up treasures. Jesus states that we have two options on what we see as worthwhile, the temporary or the eternal. The temporary is everything in this world everything tangible, money, and all that it can buy, all of which will eventually fade due to either circumstance or time. The eternal is God, who has never changed and will never change, and people who are made in his image. All of humanity, you and me, have eternity within our souls or our spirits. Jesus tells his disciples to make the eternal their treasure. 
to pour their time, energy, and resources into the things that will never be consumed by time or destroyed or stolen by circumstance. He tells them to live out of an eternal perspective because that is what you are, eternal. He then warns them of the power of wealth, the ways that he can grab a hold of a person's heart. That's their mind, their emotions, their willpower, and have total authority over their priorities and their choices. He ends by saying that you cannot serve both God and wealth. And he says, therefore. You guys know what therefore means? Because of everything else I just said, therefore. That's why I just told you all those things, because this section starts with therefore. Why is the therefore? Therefore, these are bridges of what is being said to what will be said. If you want to more fully understand what you're about to be explained, you must think about what has already been said. So real quickly, let me summarize, give a quick summary of what I just kind of went through and what we're going to look at tonight. Because you came to me, this is Jesus speaking, because you came to me to discover the best way to live, because you are eternal and created to pour into the eternal, because wealth has the ability to hijack your life, therefore, always remember that your creator will always give you everything that you need so that you can focus on what will bring you genuine life. This is what I want us to walk away considering. Therefore, always remember that your creator will always give you everything that you need so that way you can focus on what is truly life. So let me tell you how I came to this conclusion of what he's teaching. Let's start with verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, and about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, it seems that Jesus' reasoning behind teaching his disciples this fundamental concept of trusting God is because he wants their lives to be blessed with contentment. In these nine verses that follow, he says the word worry six times. He mentions do not worry three times. Regardless of if you're reading the Bible or listening to a friend talk, when you hear them repeat a word this many times in such a short amount of time, you know what is on their mind. Hang out with my six-year-old son for an hour and you will know what he is thinking about. It seems that Jesus knows that his disciples are struggling with worry, specifically about getting what they think is necessary. He specifically mentions food, drink, and clothing. Now, we're going to have a lot of application here. I promise you that. But before we move into that, I want us to to think about his original audience. They're in a far different place than we are now. They were not in 21st century America, the land of opportunity and security, a time and place in human history that is unrivaled in how many people are in such a privileged state. For the first century Israelites, the ones that he's talking to, they were living in an occupied country. Rome had complete control over their land and leveraged heavy heavy taxes upon them. They lived in a time and place where it was common for nations to storm in and conquer the weaker. Also, they were living in the agricultural age. 
Unlike us who live in the age of technology or information, in many ways they were fully reliant upon nature to help them bring home the bacon. Their source of income depended heavily on the rainfall and the population of the fish. When drought hit, they were put in desperate times. It caused them to worry about whether or not they would eat or be able to buy a new tunic because their old one was wearing out. So Jesus tells them, do not worry about your life. As he says this, I think he's being quite literal. Do not fear the Roman soldiers burning your crops. Do not worry about weather and the food that it should bring for tomorrow. Imagine what it would be like to live with a very real possibility of having our homeland destroyed or not having enough food in our fridge for tomorrow. Imagine the level of worry and anxiety that you would feel. It's almost like you're walking on a tightrope between people that want to kill you on one side and dying of hunger and thirst on the other. And Jesus says, do not worry. It's kind of a simple phrase, isn't it? Now, I really hope that this does not directly apply to you, that you aren't in that desperate of a spot. You know, with our generation, our time where we're at, by and large, we have the resources that we need to continually provide us with our most basic needs, food, drink, and clothing. But that does not mean you do not worry about money. Now, as I was thinking about this, worry seems to be a very relative thought and emotion. No matter what place of safety and prosperity that a person is in, when risk of loss enters that equation, so does anxiety about the future. If my car breaks down, if I lose my job, if an unforeseen expense arises with my house or my kid going to the hospital. For those of you that own your own business, what if my employee quits? What if I do not get enough calls to pay this month's bills? Even though these what-ifs won't lead to starvation, they will lead you having to carpool, to look for a new job. They will pull money out of your savings or your retirement. And if this happens, you firmly believe that this will make life really hard. And with that belief that things will change for the worse, with it comes worry anxiety, and fear. Now, anxiety and fear of the future has the ability to cripple a person's life. Even though the things that they are worried about may never happen, their concern that it may has the power to cause as much harm as the event itself. So often, fear of the future grabs our focus. It's where our thoughts and our emotions naturally go. Even though we may, we may be surrounded by really good things, Our minds are locked in a prison of anxiety and stress of what may come. Let me give you a little analogy. How many of you like driving through the beautiful roads in the hills? The Needles, Iron Mountain, 385, right? Majority of us. How many of you like to do that during the Sturgis Rally? (laughs) The reason we love to do it is because of how beautiful it is. It's just there's no way to deny how beautiful the Black Hills are when you're in those places. But when we're surrounded by mobs and mobs and mobs of motorcycle, where do our minds go? Fear that we might wipe one or all of them out. 
or anger because they are so close behind you and so close in front of you. Because we are just consumed by fear and anger, anxiety, we miss the beauty of the Black Hills. Our fears of the what if of the future so often blind us from the good things that are in our present. Now, Jesus' answers to his disciples applies directly to us. Do not worry about your life. Now, that may seem like too simple of a reply to the stress that you may be feeling right now to the problems that seem very real. But I believe that that Jesus is letting his disciples know that they have the power over worry. Whether we are worried, anxious, and fearful, or content, peaceful, and genuinely happy is very much up to our perspective on life. There's two different perspectives that I feel like Jesus unpacks, and we're going to look at them. First one, your creator will continually provide you with what you need. Your your creator will continually provide you with what you need. Second one, your life is far more than what money can provide. So let's look at that first one. Your creator will continually provide you with what you need. Let's look at Matthew, let's look at verses 25 through 30. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life and what you will eat or what you will drink and about your body and what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body, the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? Now, I love the way he does this. He turns to the natural world. He does this in order to give us a more proper perspective on our reality. He tells his disciples to look at the birds and the way that they approach their future. They do not build barns and store up for months and months to come. Instead, they they continually seek what they need for that day. And this isn't just birds. This is a majority of all animals. Now, the reason that they do this is because of an innate or instinctual trust in the one that made them. Due to thousands or millions of years, however you see it, of experience, animals have been hardwired to trust that they will be given what they need when they need it. Think about the way that the natural world works. How often does the sun rise and the rain fall? How regularly does the earth produce seeds and crops that allow life to continue? Sometimes it's scarce, sometimes it's in abundance, but even in desperate times like the 1930s, it still continued to give people and animals enough to survive. The reason it does this is because of our creator's design and his direct involvement with creation. Look at verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Jesus is not telling us to forget about the future and not live responsibly. He's not advising against savings accounts and long-term planning. Rather, he is bringing our focus onto who we should trust. By looking at the natural world, he is reminding us where all of our provisions come from. I feel like he's asking the question, did you make the earth's atmosphere that has a perfect balance of nitrogen, nitrogen and oxygen that allows our lungs to be filled with life? 
Did you set the earth at 23.5 degrees, which allows seasons to happen, which brings all of our crops? Did you place the moon at 238,900 miles away, which stabilizes the earth's rotation so it doesn't wobble us into space? Did you place the sun at 93 million miles from earth, which sets us at the perfect temperature that allows life to exist? And that's on a cosmic scale. The closer and closer you get, the, the crazier the miraculous nature of us exists, us is. If you take a moment to consider how well designed our planet and our bodies are, how well designed our planet is to provide us with what we need and the fact that you did nothing to make it happen, it gives you a more proper perspective. You have done nothing to bring yourself into existence. On a cosmic and terrestrial scale, you have done nothing to ensure that you will be alive tomorrow. He says this in verse 27. And can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your span of life? Everything good that you have is ultimately because God gave it to you. If you walk away with nothing else, I want it to be that. Everything good that you have is ultimately because your creator gave it to you. When you truly recognize this and then live out of that understanding, it will empower you to do what Jesus is telling his disciples to do, not worry. Let me give you an example from my life. My wife and I, we own cabins, and because of the information age in which we live, businesses are so contingent upon people's approval. And when we bought this business um, from our parents like five, six years ago, we had a bunch of five-star reviews, like 30 of them on TripAdvisor, and then we got a three-star review. And that rocked my world. Unbelievable. Just thinking that, man, what if somebody looks at this, what are they going to consider about what we bring? And this is most likely going to have major effects on the amount of business we got. And then we got another one, and then we got another one, three of them. I was looking six to eight times a day at TripAdvisor to watch that average increase, hoping that somebody new would come in and then they would be buried. It was consuming me. And then the Spirit, I believe it was God, put this thought into my mind. If God wants us to have business, if he wants us to be prosperous, it doesn't matter if we have all one-star reviews, we will still be prosperous. The fact that God is real and he is sovereign, he is in control of everything. If he wants us to be provided through this business, then regardless of what people think, it will happen. And that completely released me from that bondage. I have now set in place, I only look once a month just to keep that myself out of that struggle. But I was free from that fear and that anxiety due to my understanding that God is my provider. Jesus then turns to the lilies, verses 28 through 30. And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Now I feel like he's teaching the same governing principle here as well. 
ultimately, where do your provisions come from? But with this example, Jesus doesn't focus on our most basic needs for clothing, like a sackcloth. Instead, he speaks of the beauty of the lilies and the way that they outshine Solomon. It seems like Jesus is letting his disciples know that their creator will not only just give them enough to get by, rather he wants us to experience beauty and splendor as well. I love the way Paul says it in 1 Timothy six seventeen. As for those in this present age who are rich, which I would say is all of us, command them not to be haughty and to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. How beautiful is that? God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. To help his disciples battle worry and to bring them more contentment, Jesus brings, him, brings them to the natural world. He tells them to look around. Examine the world that surrounds us and see the ways in which God continually provides for everything. He is trying to pull us out of our self-induced bubble in which we stay inward focused. He is trying to open our eyes so we can see how dependent we are on our creator that never fails to provide us with what we need. He wants us to see that even though we think that our future fully depends on us and our skills and our choices, the reality is that we are alive because of God. Then we get another therefore. Verses 31 through 33. Therefore, do not worry. Because of everything I just said, because of what nature is telling you, therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat and what will we drink and what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles, people that don't know of the God of the Bible, who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Because you have a heavenly father that will continually provide you with what you need and even more than the bare necessities, therefore do not worry. Do not allow yourself to be consumed by the fears of the what-ifs. Live out of the understanding that God knows what you need and he will continue to give it to you. If you do this, if you seek for that understanding, hang on to it and fight to make sure it's your lens through which you see the world. If you allow the reality that everything that is good that you have is ultimately from God to be the lens through which you see your life, then it will give you the freedom and the power to focus on what is genuine life. In Jesus' words, this is the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The kingdom of God is what is eternal. It consists of the very real and powerful things that will not fade. It's made up of what the moss and the rust cannot consume, nor thieves can break in and steal. The kingdom of our God is our creator and the people that he made in his image. When we truly believe that all that we have is from God himself, then it allows us to sharpen our focus in on what really matters the almighty maker of heaven and earth and the people that surround you day after day. Instead of being consumed by the negative thoughts and emotions that flow out of the fear of the future, 
a person is able to spend their mental and emotional energy seeking God, reading his word, meditating on who he is, asking him for guidance and direction on how they should live. They are also able to pour their energy into people's lives, to listen and support those who are struggling, to come alongside those who are in need, to enjoy the beauty and the love of friendship. And God and people are the source of genuine life. They are what will continually fill you up and allow you to experience contentment. When we know God will always give us what we need, we have a much better chance of staying focused on what we truly desire. Let me give you one, meta- one more metaphor, analogy. Anybody ever been to Havasu Falls? Put a picture up, please. It's in the Grand Canyon, right? Grand Canyon does not look like this except for the Havasu Falls. I feel like this is what God is calling us to, what Jesus is telling us to focus in on, the lush and beautiful tropical place where there's utter enjoyment. Instead of wandering around in the desert, which has its beauty at times, but we're so scarce with the provision that we have, he says, come to what is real, so that way you can enjoy why I made you to be here. You can live the abundant life. But it's up to you to stay focused on what truly gives life. Let me read that opening statement that summarizes most of chapter 6 one more time. This is Jesus talking. Because you came to me to discover the best way to live. Because you are eternal and created to pour into the eternal. Because wealth has the ability to hijack your life. Therefore, always remember that your creator will always give you everything that you need. So that you can focus on what will bring you genuine life. I want to leave you with three points of challenge, direct application. This is all applicable to your minds and how you think and meditate. And I really hope you spend some time thinking through this, reread this passage again. But I want to give you three direct points of challenge. So when problems come your way, which they will, it says in Philippians 4, make your request known to God. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We live in a broken world. Worry will still come our way. When problems come, instead of grabbing a hold of them and allowing them to take a hold of you, make your requests known to your Creator. And if you do that, that peace, that contentment that Jesus is promising says it'll come upon you. First thing, make your request known to God. Second, stay in the moment. Somebody once said this phrase, the eternal now. It's like all we have, right? The past is the eternal now that we live through. The future is the eternal now that we will live through. All we have is the present. Right here, right now, is all you will ever have. And this is how Jesus ends this, his talking on worry. Let's look at verse 37. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. And by trouble, I think he's talking about problems, but also what you have been put on this earth to accomplish. Stay focused on today. 
A major way you can do that is by putting away your phone or your computer. We live, as I was sitting here 20 minutes before church started, every single person that I walked by, 100%, had their phones in front of them as they were walking. It's the culture that we live in. It's who we are. It allows us to be continually distracted from the present. So if nothing else, if you want to stay in this moment, a great way to start is to put away your phone. So that way you can spend time with your kid, with your spouse, with your friend, with God himself, with yourself, your own mind, your own emotions. It also gives you a chance to go look at the birds, like Jesus says. Consider the lilies. Walk in the natural world. I was walking last night, and there's a sliver of a moon hanging above skyline. It was incredible. So much better than anything that my phone could have offered. Stay in the moment. Fight for that. And then the last thing, I never talk about this, but it's just a crucial element to this. If you are worried about money and you desire to trust God over money, then give money away. Ask God, where do you want me to give my money? By giving your money, it's a tangible it's tangible evidence of your trust in God, right? If somebody says, I want to lose weight, and they do nothing, what's going to happen? They're not going to lose weight. If you say you want to trust God, but you don't follow through with that, then how are you going to deepen in that trust? If you believe that God is your provider and he will give you everything you need, ask him where he wants you to give money, whether it's a church, to a friend, to a neighbor, to a homeless man, right? If you do that, from my own experience, it is such a beautifully tangible way to express your trust in God and to see the benefits that come from that. All right, let's pray. Josh comes up and leads us one more. God, thank you for giving us today, for making this moment, for putting breath in our lungs and blood in our veins. Thank you for putting us in a land that's full of so much provision. It's all from you. Right now, we simply express our gratitude for how good you are to us. Amen.